in our series, Being Rich, we've discovered some really good news and some bad news. The good news is we're rich. The bad news is we're not very good at it. And before you give me a hard time about you're not rich, I Googled this, and if you make at least $32,400 per year, you're in the top 1% of all wage earners on the planet. So don't tell me you're not rich compared to other people. Now, here's the deal we're going to talk about today. Money has an effect on its owners. If your net worth is inflated, it's very easy for your self-worth to be inflated. And if your net worth is deflated, it's very easy for your self-worth to be deflated. And, and it's like this. It's like money moves you because it has a strong current. When I was a kid, my parents, uh, my mom's brother, Uncle John, lived in, outside of Uvalde, Texas on the Nueces River. And the Nueces River was awesome. It was clear. We got to go swimming in it. We'd go down for a week or 10 days and we'd swim every day because it was just out the back door. Some years it was like a a lazy river. The water's just barely moving. There's other years where the current is just rushing. It's going over the bridge and it's rushing. But we had this favorite spot we would always go to. It's this little cliff. And so my brothers are 12 and 14 years older than me. I'm about 10 years old. And they said, we want to go to the cliff. And I'm like, okay. And, and so I started to get in. My brother's like, no, 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 you got you to gotta pay attention. You need to go way upstream because the current's going to carry you over there. So I'm going to swim across first. He swims across. He climbs up. And then 10-year-old Doug, I go up, and I'm swimming like crazy, trying to, you know, 100 yards, and it's washing me down, and I reach out, and I grab my, my brother's hand, and he pulls me up, and every time I got in the water, it took me down there, and I would have to make plans to start way up here if I wanted to get over there. Well, money has the same type of effect on you, and if you don't want to be deceived by riches, deceived by wealth, you're going to have to figure out how to compensate for that, and that's what we're going to talk about today. Last week, we looked at a verse, Proverbs 18, 11, that says this. The rich man thinks of his wealth as an impregnable defense, a high wall of safety. Now, I used the, the Living Bible translation this week because of this. What a dreamer. He's saying this high wall of safety where you think money's going to protect you from everything. It's all in your mind. You are sleeping. You're dreaming if you think that money's going to protect you. That wall exists only in your mind. If you don't believe it, go to any emergency room today. And it doesn't matter what color they are. It doesn't matter how much education they have. It doesn't have, matter how much money they have. Everybody's equal in the emergency room when you think a loved one is about to die. Your money can't protect you from that. No money can protect us from that. Now, Jesus taught his followers this rather interesting definition of greed. This is on your listening guide. The assumption that everything I have is for me. Jesus said, that's what a greedy person is. If you think everything you've got is for you, you are the definition of greed. Now, let me ask you a question. How many of you, it's your goal in life to be in the bottom 50%? You want to be in the lower half. I, I, it, I just want to be below average. Anyone? Janie's dad was salutatorian in his class, and he told her for years he was salutatorian, and we didn't know until after he died. We were actually sitting with her grandmother's house, and she goes, well, yeah, he's salutatorian. Did he tell you how many were in his class? We're like, no. She goes, two. <laughs> he did not tell her while he was alive because he was in the lower 50%. I'm salutatorian, but he's in the lower 50%. Nobody wants to be there, and here's my fear for new life. My fear is the majority of you in this room, I don't even have to see your circumstances. I think you're at below average when it comes to generosity. I think you're below average when it comes to giving. And my goal is that, that our church is not below average in anything, especially in generosity. Because let's, let's just celebrate a little bit. Some of you are above average in a lot of things. For example, there are people in this room who are above average shoppers. 
I'm talking your world-class shoppers. You're so good at shopping that you spend more money than you make. Nobody? No one's clapping at that? Amen, yeah. <laughs> Amen if it's not you. Oh, help me, Jesus, if it is you, right? We're the only nation in the world where the majority of people live, they spend more money than they make. Everybody else has figured this out. We haven't. You don't want to be above average in spending. You want to be above average in giving. So how are we going to do that? Well, in order to figure out how to, how to, how to keep these riches from deceiving us, we're going to go back 236 years, and I'm going to get, do a little trivia today. How many of you have heard of the, a man named Edward Jenner? I didn't say Bruce Jenner or Caitlyn Jenner or whatever he calls himself. Uh, Edward Jenner. Anybody heard of Edward Jenner? Yeah, because y'all were here in the first service. Thank you so much for playing along. Now, I'm willing to bet, even though you don't know Edward Jenner's name, you know about a crazy idea he came up with 236 years ago. What was going on was smallpox were rampant. And if your child got it, 8 out of 10 children died from smallpox, and so parents were freaked out over this. Jenner comes up with this really crazy, controversial idea that I bet you've heard of, and here's the word. How many of you heard of this word, vaccine? Edward Jenner invented the term. So he had heard these stories about milkmaids, they're milking cows, and if they got cowpox, which is a milder form of smallpox, they were inoculated against smallpox. Where did cowpox come from? Cows. So here's what he did. Here's his crazy idea. He wants to go to the people who are in infected with cowpox, get some of the active pus from the pox, ew, and intentionally spread it on healthy people so that they'll get cowpox so that they won't get smallpox and die. And it worked. How many of you heard the word vaccine? It actually comes from the Latin term for cow, vaca. Thank you cows for giving us your creamy goodness to enjoy with our Pop-Tarts in the mornings. And thank you cows for sharing your less harmful disease of cowpox so that we don't have to have smallpox, right? Woo! For rich people today, by the way, when I say that, when I say rich people, you're going to go, that's me, and you're going to do it with a smile on your face and an exclamation point. You're implying the explanation point. You don't have to say it. So for rich people, okay, I told the early service, and we actually got out late in the early service because they weren't playing my game, right? So I got all day. If y'all want to play the game, we'll get out of here on time. If not... For rich people, oh, thank you for playing. There's a disease just as deadly to you as smallpox was in Jenner's day, and it's called affluenza. And here's the problem with affluenza. This is what it gives you. Arrogance, I'm better than you because I got more dollars than you. Apathy towards people in need, well, that's their problem, not my problem and misplaced hope. I no longer put my hope in the God of the universe. I put my hope in the stack of money that I've got. Affluenza is deadly. New, the New Living Translation called it the, a wall, a high wall of safety. What a dreamer if you think that money, a little bit more, more money is going to protect you. But there is a vaccine that you can immunize yourself against the effects of affluenza, and it's from another Latin term, and it's called generosity. Now, here's the problem with Generosity. It's very hard to define because just as no one thinks they're rich, you ask somebody, are you rich? No, no. Even if they are rich, no, no, I'm not rich. You ask the same person, are you generous? Well, yes. 
just as no one thinks they're rich, everybody thinks they're generous. Well, I'm, I'm generous at least when it comes, I'm compared to the next guy. Well, can I tell you, I don't think you are. As lovely as I can say that today, I don't think you are as generous as you think you are because if you do not recognize that you're rich, you will not share any of your riches with others. You think it's all for you. Look what Paul said to the church in Corinth, 2 Corinthians 9, 11. And you will be enriched in every way so that you can always be generous. The reason God gives you, yes, and we're gonna read in just a second, God gives you stuff so you can enjoy it, but it's also so that you can be generous. And then look at this. And when we take your gifts to those who need them, they will thank who? God. We're about to go to Belize in just a few weeks and we're gonna take at least $3,000 to build a church down there. And, and the place where we're gonna build this church is in a place that doesn't have a church building. And somebody is gonna say, praise God, or somebody goes, somebody's gonna say, there may be a God because these white people came all the way from, from the United States and they spent all of this money to build a church. There must be a God worth following if they're willing to give of their stuff and their time for us. The blessee is going to say, thanks be to God. Or we're actually sending money. We've already sent $1,000 to Haiti, to the Haiti trip leaders who don't get any money because no, tri no Haiti trips are coming this year. They depend on that money. And so I, I just found out yesterday, a trip leader gets a $300 for a week. They meet us at the airport. They take us to wherever we're going. Jock Mel is where we go. It's a three-hour bus ride through some of the most beautiful mountain scenery you've ever seen. And then they stay with us all week. They make sure we have food. They take us back to the airport. They get $300, and some of them, that's all they get is when a team comes down. If they're an assistant trip leader, they get about 200 bucks. That's all they get to provide for their family. And they, they build up this money during the summer, and some of that has to last them weeks and months through the winter until they come again. Well, they're not coming this year because of the political situation. And so we've already sent $1,000 to them. We want to send more to them. And they're going to say, thanks be to God. Somebody's going to come into the kingdom of God. You never know who or when someone's going to come into the kingdom of God when you're generous. Well, here's our theme verses for this whole series. 1 Timothy 6, 17 and 18. Command those who are rich, and you're going to say, that's me with enthusiasm, exclamation point. Command those who are rich. Oh, you learn. You just want to get out on time. Command those who are rich. I was testing you. In this present world, not to be arrogant nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Command them to do good. It's not a suggestion, command. To be rich in good deeds, and then I highlighted generous, and to be generous. That's what we're talking about today and willing to share. Part of my job is to command you to be generous, not suggest you be generous. And you can get mad at me, and I'm just going to point you to God because it's his word that says it. Command rich people, that's you, to be generous. So if we're going to be rich, we need to figure some stuff out. We've got to acknowledge it. So here's what we've been doing. We've been, we've been saying a sentence and adding to it each week. So here's, here's what we said for a couple weeks ago. I'm going to read it first, and then I'll give you a chance to fill it in. We'll go back. God has blessed me with more than I need. I am rich. I will not trust in riches, but in him who richly provides. Here's the part we're adding today. Because I have more... I will give more. All right, let's practice together. And you, you got to say this with enthusiasm too. Ready? God has blessed. But in him who richly provides, because I have more, I will give more. Yes. Above average givers actually give in a way we call strategically. And we're going to talk about that. 
strategically. Um, here's what Paul said again to the Corinthian church. Each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. Decided means you've thought about it, you've prayed about it. If you're married, you've talked to your spouse and you said, this is what we're going to give to the kingdom of God. Now, what does it mean to be a cheerful giver? I think of it this way. Uh, 28 and a half years ago, so tw this last Saturday, Janie and I celebrated 28 years of marriage. 28 and a half years ago, I had fooled her into thinking that I didn't have any money, so I couldn't buy her an engagement ring. And so I was going to take her to the Tower of Americas in San Antonio. Put that up there if you would. So this was spectacular. So 10 days before this, she met my family, and she didn't know it at the time, but this was like the big deal. If my mom didn't approve, it was see you later. I felt pretty confident that mom was going to approve of you, Janie, and, and Janie eventually became number one and she did this happy dance I'm the mom told her you're my favorite daughter-in-law maybe nobody will see this um I shouldn't have said that because it's online but she told her that and Janie's like yes you don't know how long I've worked anyway so we go down in this 15 passenger van with all the washburns and Janie's in the back seat with my dad luckily she sat next to the quietest washburn and the, she's sitting back there with because washburns are not not quiet at all we're packed in here ah, having this great time she passed the test so I had bought a ring but I was waiting to see if she passed the test and then on her birthday her 22nd birthday I take her to the Tower of Americas and I was so nervous because I was going to pop the question that I had the ring in my pocket and I kept driving past the exit we'd only been there you know like nine days before and I go by, and there it goes. I mean, it's this big honking thing. You see, we're going there, and she's like, yeah, there we go. I kept going. I was so excited to give her the ring, and I kept going past it. Eventually, we got there, and eventually, we, we you know, have dinner, and I come around, and I put the little box on there, and she, and she, thinks, it's, she thinks it's earrings, and she's like, I don't want to open it because it's going to be earrings. I'm going to be disappointed, and she pops it open, and it's a it's an engagement ring and I said will you marry me and she said yes and then she cries and we got this picture and she looks horrified and I'm like it's a horrible picture but but 28 years later we're still going now here's the deal I could not wait to give that to her when Matt bought Rachel an engagement ring this was it was around April I think of last year so a full year ago um, he calls us. We're supposed to go to this baseball game in, in Nacogdoches because Rachel wanted us to come hang out with her. And so he calls us and he says, hey, would you stop by my apartment? Rachel doesn't know I've taken some time off. Would you stop by? I want to talk to you. And we've, we're not dumb. We've, we knew what he was going to do. And so we get there and, and he's a little nervous. And, and so he shows us the ring and he says, can I marry your daughter? And we're like, yes. And he, so he had this whole plan. He's like, seven months from now, you know, we're going to get around Christmas and I'm going to propose to her. We got in the car and Janie goes, there's no way that boy's waiting seven months to give that ring to her like two or three days later he calls Danny he goes I, I'm I can't wait until December and so he couldn't wait to give her the ring and and some of you don't know my son is also now engaged I got two kids that are engaged praise God my son is finally engaged when he bought the ring he couldn't wait he was going to wait he couldn't wait he had to give it to her that's the definition to me of a cheerful giver can you imagine if I threw the box at Janie and said here's your stupid ring you want to get hitched would you have said yes? No. Ladies, is that your dream proposal? That's, that's giving under compulsion. And some of you give under compulsion. Here's your stupid money, God. I'm just going to tell you it'd be better not to give than to give with the wrong attitude but God, because God loves a cheerful giver. Now, most people are below average givers, even though they're rich. So, the reason is most rich people only give spontaneously. I said the right word this service, said the wrong word last service. Bobby's trying to find the right word. Where's that word? 
Now, giving spontaneously is not a bad thing unless that's the only time you give. So recently, Sherry um, Lindsay had a cancer scare, and, and some of you bought T-shirts. This is actually a T-shirt that my uh, nieces are selling because they're going with us to, to Haiti. This one's Stay Salty, and it's if, a, if salt loses its saltiness, so Stay Salty. It's from Matthew 5, 13 through 16. Some of you are like, man, I'll give today. I'll buy a $20 T-shirt. Woo, yay. Some of you gave $100. There were people who gave a lot more to, to bless them during that time. We wanted to make sure that, that even though she was going to be off for five, six weeks, she didn't miss any money. Some people gave spontaneously, and that's good unless that's the only type of giving you do because if it is, you're going to miss out. Here's what happens. Every year in January, we put the contribution statements out here in the living room. We take over the little uh, hearts in motion table that, where we do food, and we put out the everybody who's contributed gets a contribution statement. And, and if you are a a strategic giver, this happens all the time. Somebody goes out there, they find their name, they open up and they go, I gave that much to the kingdom of God? Sweet, that's awesome. If you're only a spontaneous giver, happens every time. If you even get a contribution statement, because we don't always know who, you know, if you just throw 20 bucks in the, in the basket back there, we don't know unless you put it in an envelope. If you get a contribution statement, every time the spontaneous giver goes, that's all I gave when you get to that point on your filing your taxes where you can take contributions to charity off and you go, man, it's because you weren't planning. You weren't strategic in your giving and so you didn't make a very big impact on the kingdom of God. So I got to ask you this. When did the wise men decide what kind of gifts they were going to give Jesus? Before they left home, which by the way, it took about two years to get there. It wasn't the night, you know, we, it wasn't the night of. It took them about two years because they went a long ways. Or did they get to Bethlehem and go, man, I hope Walmart's open. I need a, I need a Chia Pet or, you know, I need Paw Patrol. Waylon's two years old, and, and if you don't have little ones, I wouldn't have known what Paw Patrol is, but he can't say Paw Patrol. He calls it Paw Troll. Paw Troll, everything is great. We need a Paw Troll something for Jesus. That'll impress him. No, they thought long before. They, they were strategic in their giving. They said, what would, what would be a gift worthy of a king? And if you're strategic, you'll ask that about your giving. What would a king appreciate me giving? Well, if we're, if we're going to immunize ourselves against this affluenza disease, we'd need to, we need a prescription. Here it is, three Ps in a pod. Now, say it that way because it's three P words. Number one, Priority. The whole idea behind an immunization is you need to get it before you get the disease, right? Everybody understand that? You get the immunization first, and it protects you from the disease. Generosity has to come first so that you'll be protected from affluenza. If you wait until you're rich, you'll never give because most rich people don't even acknowledge they're rich, and so they say, it all is for me. I can't give any away. And here's the point I want you to understand about this. Generosity does not depend on your finances at all. Generosity is a decision you make. And we said it earlier, I will not put my trust in riches, but in whom? In God who richly provides. When you're generous, the first part of your income, you're immunizing yourself against the affluenza disease, and you're saying that the God of the universe is your hope, not money. Second P in a pod is percentage. If you want to get, guard against the side effects of wealth, you can't look at the total dollars. You need to look at percentage. Um, a much better indication of, of how generous you are is the percentage that you give. And look at this. The lower the percentage of giving your money away, the more control money has over you, the more you're infected with affluenza. 
And we read this story last week of the, of the poor widow who gave her two copper coins. It was everything. It was 100% of her income. And Jesus calls his disciples together and he goes, see that? She gave it all compared to the rich guys who gave a tiny, tiny bit. So in Jesus' mind, percentage matters more than some. S-U-M. Okay, so what percentage should I give? The Bible talks about the tithe, T-I-T-H-E, which actually means tenth. Literally, it means one-tenth. Now, if you're not a Christian, let me say this doesn't apply to you, and some of you go, good, I don't want to give 10% of my income. But this is also difficult for Christians as well. We may struggle with this idea. Let me show you where it came from. Malachi chapter 3, verse 10. Bring the whole tithe. Now, the, the Hebrew word is masser, M-A-S-S-E-R, and it literally means one-tenth. Bring the whole tithe, the whole how much? 10%, not 6%, not 9%. Now, you can bring over that, but, but the basic is 10%. Had somebody in leadership years ago, and we were, we were going to get out of debt, and we were making some decisions about what we are going to do, and, and they came to me. We said, if you're going to be on the board at our church, you need to give 10%, at least 10% of your income, if you're going to make choices about God's money. And this person said to me, well, I give 6%, and I said, yay, that's awesome. You can't be on our board. Because this says bring the whole tithe, not a part of the tithe. And then it says, into the storehouse, and, and I'm going to hop up on my soapbox right now. You ready for this? If you designate, see, this is me. I've been, I've been a minister for 36 years. I've been in church since I was born. I remember being in the nursery and growing up. I remember being in church. I've given always to the general fund of a church because I'm not about to say to God, I'm going to give here and here and here, and I'm going to limit my giving to only this because I believe you're at work there and you're not at work there. If you believe that about a church, please quit going to that church. Go to a church you can trust the leadership. If you don't trust me, fine. There's, there's 122 churches within driving distance of here. Actually, 122 inside the city limits of Palestine. Go find one you can trust the leadership to make the right decisions because the minute you start saying, well, I'm going to give to this fund, you have this little silo going over here and this silo over here and the youth minister. I'm going to give to the youth minister, but I'm not going to give to the landing or I'm going to give to this and I'm going to give this you actually put them in competition with one another and Satan is pleased with your giving you give to the general fund and then you give over and above to anything else step down off my, my soapbox bring the whole tithe into the storehouse in the Old Testament literally the storehouse was right next to the temple or to the tabernacle and they would bring their agricultural products there so that the priest could be fed. So we don't have a storehouse here. What is it? It's, in the New Testament, it shifts to the local church. Wherever you are fed spiritually, you're supposed to give to that church. And, and by the way, if, if this is the church where you go regularly and you're fed, then you're expected by God to give to this church. If this isn't your home church, you give to your home church. And if you're watching online and this is the only place you give, you should give to wherever you're fed, the local church. It's scriptural. It's not my rules. It's God's. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. You know, I've had atheists in this church. They both, there were at least two that told me they were atheists and they were coming against their will. And I'm like, wow, cool. Both of them eventually became Christians. And one of them said to me one time, he gave a higher percentage as an atheist. He gave a higher percentage of his income to our church than some people who had been Christians for years. And I asked him why he did it. And he said, somebody's got to keep the lights on. Someone needs to contribute to your salary. And he said, 
I'm coming, I'm benefiting. He said, he said if I were a member of a, of a gym, I would be given to the gym. I'm coming here, I'm giving to you. An atheist gave more than a Christ follower. There's something wrong with that. Now, a lot of people are going to say, okay, Doug, I see this 10% Old Testament. Doesn't apply in the New Testament. All right, let me ask you a question. And the first service did not get this right, so I'm just helping you out. Where do we have the story of Jesus' birth, the Christmas story? Old Testament, New Testament? New Testament. Now, Old Testament, we hear about the Messiah coming, but Matthew, Mark, Luke, we read Luke chapter 2. And then, you know, we read about Mary in, in Matthew. We read about the angels, the shepherds. It's New Testament. Okay, so I should have prefaced that. So Jesus is in the New Testament. So is Jesus Old Testament or New Testament? Y'all are so smart. I'm going to tell the first service next week, y'all got it right. I won't tell them how long it took you to get it right. Here's what Jesus says from Jesus. Matthew 23, 23, New Testament. What sorrow awaits you, teachers of religious law and Pharisees, you hypocrites? For you are careful to tithe even the tiniest income from your herb gardens, but you ignore the more important aspects of, lo- of the law, justice, mercy, and faith. Quote from Jesus right here. You should tithe. Yes. Do not neglect the more important things. That's New Testament. That's quote from Jesus. Now, some of you are going to say, well, this is New Living Translation. Okay, go to the New American Standard, which is a literal translation. And what he says, literally, he says, you should do the former without neglecting the latter. The former is tithing. He said, you tithe of even your little spices. You should do the former, the tithing, without neglecting the latter. Jesus said it. Please, oh, please, give me your interpretation. Show me how I'm wrong that Jesus said tithing is good. Please, come tell me. Because I've been tithing a long time. I'm I'm open to you showing me how I'm wrong that Jesus just said you should tithe. But tithing is basic. It's foundational. shouldn't even be an issue is what Jesus is saying. You should move on to more mature things than simply tithing. Justice, mercy, and faith. Now let's go back to Malachi. Now that we got that straight, let's go back to the Old Testament. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. Test me in this. Only time in Scripture Jesus or God says, test me. Only time. He says, I double, triple, quadruple dog, cinquento, I don't know. Test me in this, says the Lord, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven, pour out so much blessing that there will not be room enough to store it. I will prevent pests from devouring your crops, and the vines in your fields will not drop their fruit before it's ripe, says the Lord Almighty. Now, for a lot of people, I get this, 10% is extremely uncomfortable, and so is a colonoscopy, so I've heard. I haven't had one yet. I'm about to. Oh, I know, and I'm 54 years old, and and Cassie's in the first service, Cassie Anderson. She actually scolded me through my wife. Janie went to see Cassie, and Cassie said, Doug hasn't had it. He's four years overdue. You know, so we actually went to schedule one, and they called the other day, and Janie answered the phone, and they told us how much it's going to cost because we're in a Christian share thing. We don't have insurance. We're in Christian uh, Samaritan Ministries, but but it was going to be, and I said, I'll just get cancer, dude. I am not paying that much for a colonoscopy, and then I started reading that, that if, if you discover colon cancer early, it's very simple to treat. If you don't, it's incredibly painful and expensive. I went, I'll get a colonoscopy. I'm just going to do it cheaper than what they did. I'm not going to use that, that group. Here's the point. How bad do you want to be protected from affluenza, from the deceitfulness of riches. You're going to have to do something that might be a little bit uncomfortable. Let me tell you something about tithing. Number one, it teaches me to put God first. I give God my first and best, and I trust him to bless the rest. 
when I'm sitting yesterday, I went and I deposited a couple of checks I got for mowing. And the first thing I do is I pull out my phone and I get on my little push pay app and I give my 10% of whatever those checks are. And, and I just have this weird little thing. So like, like if it's $75, I don't give $750 to the Lord. I give eight. I just round up because I, I want to be sure and give more than my 10%. And some of you may say, you know, why do you do that? Well, Malachi 3.8 says, God is speaking to Israel. He says, will a man rob God? And they go, well, how are we robbing you? And he said, in tithes, that's the 10%, and offerings, that's over and above the 10%. He said, you're robbing me and your nation is cursed because you're robbing me. And so I just don't want to do that. I'm going to give my 10%. Now look at the purpose of tithing in Deuteronomy 14.23. The purpose of tithing is to teach you to always put God first in your life. And Christians are going to say this. You're thinking this. You don't know how much it would cost me. I'm pretty good with math. You move a decimal point, you know, if it's 10%. But, but, but wait, wait, you're telling me I would have to totally rearrange my life. You're telling me that I would have to reprioritize my life financially. Is that what you're saying? That's exactly what your heavenly father is saying. And that's what I'm saying to you. I want you to do something that is incredibly spiritual and tangible to say to God, you're number one and not money. Second thing about tithing, it increases my faith in God and not money. See, go back to that verse. Um, dreamers think that, that their money is going to protect them instead of God. Craig Groeschel, I was he's the pastor of Life Church. They do a lot of stuff online. I was reading his, his sermon on this topic, and, and he tells this story. He said, I was working with a guy who started his own business, and he made $23,000 that first year, and he tithed off of that $23,000. The business owner said to Craig, I gave it, and God blessed my business, and I kept tithing, and God blessed it more, and eventually he made $200,000 in one year. Then he comes back to Craig, and he says, I don't want to tithe anymore. Quote, it was easy to give $3,000, but to give over $20,000, I can't get my mind around that timeout. This is my comment. He could give $3,000 and live on $20,000, and he was okay with that. But he couldn't give $20,000 and live on $180,000, nine times the original. I got a problem with that. Something's wrong. He is infected with affluenza. Turn back into the story. Craig says, Pastor Craig says, I totally understand and he says to the guy, do you still want to put God first? And the guy goes, yes. And, he, and Craig said, then I'm going to pray that God will reduce your income back to a level where you feel confident giving to God and making him first. And the guy's like, no, anything but that. He had put his trust in money. This is the deceitfulness of riches. Now, we said you, you make it a priority to be generous and you give a percentage he could have defeated the deceitfulness of riches if he went on to the third P, which is progressive. He could have avoided affluenza if he had regularly thought not more about what he doesn't have because that gets you chasing those things and you'll never satisfy that appetite. If he started focusing on what other people didn't have, it would have cured him of affluenza. See, generosity isn't something you do when you have more. It's something you practice constantly so you'll know what to do when you have more. If you can be trusted with a little, you can be trusted with a lot. This guy's priority shifted from God to money, and it's a danger we want to avoid. Now, to, to become generous, we're going to have to say no to ourselves. Let me tell you something about rich people. I don't know if you know this about rich people. Rich people do not like to be told no. 
Actually, none of us do, but especially rich people. Even if they have to tell themselves no. Because see, the advantage of having extra money is I can buy extra stuff and I can save something to help me in the future for a rainy day. Nothing wrong with that unless you have all of your hopes, unless that's your high wall of safety. But the kind of generosity that Jesus talks about (laughs) will interfere with both of those advantages. And we're going to have to say no to somebody. We're either going to have to say no to Jesus or we're going to have to say no to us. And the enemy of God, who does he want you to say no to? You or Jesus? Jesus every time. He wants you to feed your appetites until it's out of control. Now, let me say this. Appetites aren't bad things. God gave us appetites. Sexual appetite in marriage, good thing. Sexual sexual appetite outside of marriage, bad thing. Desire for, for a house, that's not a bad thing unless it becomes the number one thing. But, but have, you ever, have you ever gone shopping, gone grocery shopping when you're hungry? Do you buy the things you need? No. Because when we have an appetite, we focus on that appetite, and it becomes more important than any other appetite, and we actually think, if I satisfy this appetite, everything is going to be good. It's why you get hangry. It's why you need to eat a Snickers. Three of you have seen that commercial. Here, eat a Snickers, because you're not yourself. Oh, Yay. Doesn't always work, by the way. But I'm just saying, we become so so focused on satisfying that one thing, we ignore the other stuff. Just like generosity is an antidote, it's a vaccine against affluenza, your desire for more is a vaccine from the enemy against being generous in the kingdom of God. And if you don't do something about your appetite, you're going to become a stuffaholic, a statusaholic, and a security aholic, or in some combination of those three. Paul said this in 1 Timothy 6. But people who long to be rich fall into temptation, are trapped by many foolish and harmful desires that plunge them into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil, and some people craving money have wandered from the true faith and pierced themselves with many sorrows. Here's what he says. If you are chasing after money, if that's your number one desire, you're going to fall into temptation. You're going to fall into a trap. You're going to be controlled by harmful desires. You're going to plunge headfirst into ruin and destruction. You're going to wander from the faith, and you're going to pierce yourself with many troubles, many sorrows. Okay, so, so what's the deal? How do, we, how do we inoculate ourselves? 1 Timothy 6, 7, and 8. For we brought nothing into the world, we can take nothing out of it. But if we have food and clothing, look at this. We will be content with that. And some of you are going, who in their right mind would be content with food and clothing? Almost everyone outside the United States. Go with us to Belize and you'll see people who are content with food and clothing. Go with us to Haiti, you'll you'll see people content with food and clothing. Well, here's here's the real question. We're almost done. How can rich people find the will to say no when technically they can afford to say yes? Here's the answer. It's this word, awareness awareness when we go to Belize in just a few weeks we're, we're going to this location go ahead and put that up there if you would this is where Pastor Mogel meets with his church in this little uh, area we're going to stay in San Lazaro um, and, and then we're going to drive 30 this, this is the church this is the facility where they meet right now go to that next one see this slab over here this concrete slab that's where they want to build the church building because there's not one in this neighborhood 
See that little wire running across there? That's an extension cord that goes about 150, 200 feet across to a neighbor where they pay, pay for electricity for their one little light bulb in the middle of this, this little shack. They do most of their services at night because it's so stinking hot there that they have to do it at night. So they have one little bulb and we're going to take 3000 at least $3,000, and we're going to start building the church right there. And this is in a place that's known, its history has been witchcraft. We're going to build a church that's going to bring light into a dark area. Go to the next one, if you would. This is our Adopt-A-Box. There are 64 boxes left. And somebody asked me this after first service. Let me just tell you. When you adopt a box, if you adopt 61, that means you're going to give $61 to this and, and what we're doing is half of the money raised from this goes to help people get to Belize. The other half goes to either building the church I just showed you about or helping our Haitian missionary friends who are not going to have any money this summer. And so we got 64 left and if you want to, if you want to help, go, go adopt a box and, and, and turn that money in. My goal is all of these are done. Every one of them is adopted before we go to Belize July 13th. So if you want me to shut up, 64 more boxes. Now, awareness can do one of two things. Awareness either, either you become aware of what I don't have and you spend the rest of your life chasing it. Or you become aware of what other people don't have. And it drives you to become generous and to make a difference. Now, last couple of things, I'm going to show you a video. <laughs> Go ahead and put that up there. You never miss... I think we got it. Yeah. You miss money that you misspend. Anybody, anybody misspent money? Anybody bought something you didn't need or you wasted a, an investment? Yeah, you beat yourself over that. Here's the thing about the kingdom of God. You never miss money given to meet a need in someone else's life. Ever. You give some money to Belize and you're not going to miss it. God's going to make sure of that. Now, I'm going to show you this video. It's, it's an older video, but the song is just incredible. And I think our band probably needs to do this. That's what I was thinking in the first service. It's called Aware. And he keeps saying, make me aware that my life is not all about me. Watch this and we'll be dismissed. Even in the little things that never seemed too big to me And the things I thought didn't matter much at all Simple as my daily bread To the strength I need to get out of bed When I fly or when I'm about to fall Oh, it's you and me That I fail to Guarantees the first 
And that video have 90s all over it. <laughs> Make me aware that my life isn't all about me. Make me aware. You've been made aware today. The question is now what are you going to do about it? Let's pray together. Father, thank you for your love and your grace. Help us be a generous church that changes this world. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen.